Hello. Seems as though you've wound your way through the woods into my horrific home. Welcome. Have a seat. It's time for a tale at the Spooky Shack. I'm your storyteller, Royce White, and today at the Spooky Shack, I've got a couple personally selected tales for you. Today we'll be discussing zombies from the origin through their evolution. The concept of zombies first evolved out of Haiti from the practice of Haitian voodoo, which evolved between the 16th and 19th centuries. The practices and traditions that evolved into voodoo were brought to Haiti by slaves from the Dahomey Kingdom situated near modern-day Nigeria. Once they arrived in Haiti, these slaves created a new religion based on their shared beliefs and the beliefs of the tribes from their home. The slave owners prohibited the practice of native religions, forcing them to worship in hiding, threatening them and baptizing them all as Catholic in hopes of stopping voodoo. This caused them to adopt some Catholic traditions, including hymns, prayers, and rituals, which are still used in current-day voodoo. Voodoo evolved in Louisiana, while during the colonial period, enslaved sub-Saharan Africans and Haitian slaves were transported there, namely in the French Quarter, and the practice of making and wearing charms and amulets for protection, healing, and harming were important aspects to early Louisiana voodoo. As it began to spread, the practices changed widely as well, varying from city to city and household to household. Out of the harming aspects of these traditions of voodoo evolved the process of zombification. Zombification is the practice of turning people into mindless, soulless, and obedient zombies. The exact methods and concoction used vary among priests, but have a general pattern. Some use blood and hair from their victims in addition to voodoo dolls. Others involve a carefully prepared mixture called coup de poudre, or powder strike, made of mystical herbs, human remains, and animal parts. Administration of this mixture also varies from ingestion to injection and even blow darts. These priests are called bokor for males and kaplata for females and claim to serve the spirits with both hands. This means that they can practice both dark on one side and benevolent on the other magics. Once this mixture has been made and administered, it starts to take its effect on the body. The victim will become immobile and have an incredibly faint heartbeat. His or her breathing is also reduced so that they appear dead. While in this state, the victim is aware of their surroundings but cannot express themselves. Once taken to the hospital and declared dead, the seemingly lifeless body is buried in a grave soon after since the heat and lack of refrigeration in Haiti makes bodies decay quickly. After the body has been buried, the Bacor will dig up the body. This needs to happen within eight hours of the burial, otherwise the victim will die of asphyxiation. Next, the Bacor performs an ancient voodoo rite where he or she captures the victim's T-Bon-Anja, a part of the soul directly connected to an individual. This can be done within seven days following the death of the core cadaver, while it is still hovering over the corpse, or by spreading poisons in the shape of a cross on the threshold of the victim's doorway. This process splits the soul from the body. The soul will be trapped in a small clay jar or some other type of container, and its place in the body is taken by a spirit that the Bacor controls. The container is then hidden in a secret place known only to the Bacor and wrapped in a piece of the victim's clothing or some other personal possession. The Bacor then, after a day or two, administers a hallucinogenic mixture that revives the victim and is used to keep the zombie in a state of submissive confusion. 
They can no longer speak, they have no memory, and they no longer resemble their human personality. It is, though, believed that feeding a zombie salt will restore their senses and personality and cause them to either attack the bakor that has created them or return to their place of burial for their final death and rest. In Haitian culture, the fear related to zombies is not so much of zombies as it is becoming one and losing one's own freedoms. Now that we've discussed the origins and historical significance of zombies, we'll get into our first story of the evening. It is a tale, while debated, is seemingly true of a man named Clervius Narcisse. Clervius Narcisse was born in Leisteri, Haiti, on January 2nd of 1922. Narcisse was talked about in his community, and some of the things people said about him weren't the best. Apparently, Clervius fathered a number of children, but did not consider himself responsible for them financially. This broke Haitian tradition, and the people of the town looked down upon him. Clarius was one of the first individuals in the area to transition from a thatched roof to a tin roof. Additionally, he and his brother inherited land from their parents which Clarius refused to share with his brother. At this time in Haiti, access to land was crucial for families to support themselves, and though Clarius did not find himself responsible for his family, his brother did. When he was 40 years old on April of 1962, he admitted himself to a hospital feeling unwell. He had a fever, aches and pains, and was even spitting up blood. His condition worsened every day until three days later, at which he was pronounced dead. On May the 2nd, Clarivius Narcisse was buried with his brother and sister who witnessed the burial as well, and the nail being driven into his coffin. The unsuspecting family thought that would be the last that they ever saw him. Since his burial, 18 years had passed. Angelina Narcisse was walking in the village of Leisteri, Haiti, when she was approached by her brother that the family had buried nearly two decades before. He looked like the same Clarivius, but now he sported a scar on his face. Of course, the family had questions about how their deceased relative was seemingly in decent health roaming about his home village. And although skeptical, Clarivius did have proof that he was in fact who he said he was. He was put through some questioning in which he was able to describe childhood events, names, and details that no one besides Clarivius would know, including his childhood nickname. His family was satisfied with the fact that he was who he said he was, except the scar. Clarivius had to tell his story about what had happened over the past 18 years. Clarivius stated that he doesn't remember how long he was buried, but that when the coffin was nailed shut, the nail went into his head, and that was how he got the mysterious scar. He said that he was dug up by a voodoo magic sorcerer, or a bokor. In Haitian culture, when a sorcerer seemingly revived the deceased, they were classified as a zombie and ostracized by their communities. This added to the plausibility of Clarivius's story, because having been born and grown up in Haiti, he knew that zombies were shunned, but told his story anyway. After he was dug up, he was enslaved under the rule of the Bacor for two years doing manual labor until the Bacor passed away, at which point Clarivius was free. He said he didn't remember much about his time as a slave and stated that it was foggy and dreamlike. In Haiti, this wasn't unheard of. In fact, one of the most prominent pieces of folklore surrounded zombies that were brought back to life by voodoo sorcery. 
The zombies were considered the lowest of the low, putting them at the bottom of the social ranks because zombies brought humiliation to their family for being enslaved and losing their souls. So, there are some very plausible theories on what made a person seemingly come back to life. One of the most prevalent theories is that Bakors would pick people who they were going to enslave and poison them with the toxins that are in Fugu, which can cause paralysis and make the heartbeat and breath of someone who consumes it undetectable. Then, they exhume the paralyzed victim and keep them drugged while they force them into slavery. There are a number of articles and stories written about the Bakor that poisoned people and forced them into slavery after they were assumed dead. This explains the zombie mystery, and sadly, Clarvius fell victim to this whole thing. Some people suspect that his brother set him up for the poisoning to get his share of the family's land, but those claims are unfounded. Unfortunately, due to his zombie status, Clarvius was shunned from his family and passed away in 1994. He lived an additional 30 years after he was buried and pronounced dead, making him one of the earliest cases of a living zombie. Well, I hope you enjoyed learning about the origins of Haitian voodoo and zombies. I'm going to take a moment to leave a space for a potential sponsor break. Well, if you're confused as to why you're hearing my sultry voice again so soon, it's because we don't have any sponsors set up. Welcome back. But if we do, hopefully you heard something you're interested in. Before we get into our second and last story of the evening, we'll discuss how zombies evolved from their Haitian voodoo counterparts into the modern image of the flesh-eating and ravenous zombie. A lot of this has to do with the introduction of zombies into pop culture. The first film often credited with forming the image of the modern zombie is the 1932 film White Zombie, defining the basic parameters that are later seen in George A. Romero's films. In 1968, George A. Romero's film Night of the Living Dead changed the image of the zombie substantially. Anyone could become a zombie. They were almost always slow-moving and had an unstoppable craving for human flesh. From then on, the public was enamored with the concept of zombies. And it's only natural. We as humans have no natural predators, and the concept of being relentlessly stalked terrifies us to our very core. For around a decade, zombies from that point were seen as slow-moving, though, and if you were quick and smart, you could avoid them. But in 1980, the movie Nightmare City introduced the world to the first running zombies, and shortly after, Return of the Living Dead in 1982 furthered upon the idea as well. But then, decades later, in 2002, the movie 28 Days Later brought the idea of fast, terrifying zombies into the mainstream with all zombies being capable of running with amazing swiftness. Some of them were even capable of mimicking speech, and all it took to become infected was a single drop of blood. Over the years, there have been countless depictions and variations of zombies, including animals and infection based on fungi rather than blood-borne pathogens. Now that we've covered the evolution of zombies some, I think it's time to get into our last story of the evening. This one is titled, There is Something Wrong with the Homeless in My City. I work the AM shift at a hotel in Santa Monica. It's a fairly popular four-star hotel that faces directly out to the ocean, 
I honestly love my job. I work at the front desk and am met with a beautiful view of the ocean through the entrance doors which lie directly in front of the desk. To the right of the desk is a small side entrance to the lobby, along with a pair of windows that are pretty high up and unreachable from the outside. The hotel has been dead lately since nobody is traveling right now due to COVID. I spend my day browsing Reddit and catching up on homework. Santa Monica is a great city, but it has a large homeless population. It is very common to see homeless people walking past the hotel. Sometimes they even walk in, look around, then walk out. Other times, you can hear them outside screaming at seemingly nothing. This is all very common, at least in Santa Monica. Sometimes, if I see a homeless person without shoes, I'll go and buy them a pair. My heart goes out to all these homeless people. They're human too, after all, right? April 10th, 2020. This is my first diary entry. I don't even know why I really started this. Uh, I guess I have a lot of thoughts and just want a place to store them. Today was a fairly normal day at work. Just the usual. A few homeless people jaunting past the hotel. A few others screaming at a lamppost, etc. I've just been browsing Reddit, but I got bored and wanted to start writing out how my day went. Some homeless dude also just walked into the hotel, but ran out as soon as he realized there was someone in here. April 11th, 2020. Today was a slow day, but something odd happened. At 3 p.m., the p.m. person came to relieve me from my shift. Her name was Anna, and I've always thought she was beautiful. She was coughing a lot when she arrived. Her hair was also a mess, and she looked like she'd seen a ghost. I joked and said, Corona? and didn't get a response from her. I saw tears start falling from her eyes. What, what's wrong? I asked. She had broke down crying and then lifted her leg up. She had long socks on that went up to her knees, but... You couldn't really tell because of the dress pants she had on. She rolled her pants up and rolled her sock down slowly. An infected bite mark on her calf was revealed, and it was swollen and pulsating. The remains of a band-aid fell onto the floor. I told her she should probably go home, and I'll stay and cover her shift. But she refused. She, she said she really needed the money for rent this month, and she needs this shift. I'll be fine, she told me. She then went on and explained that before work, she parked here at work and walked over to a gas station nearby to pick up a monster energy drink. Sitting outside the door to the gas station was a homeless man with bloodshot eyes. As she was walking in, he flung himself towards her leg and took a bite out of it. She kicked him in the face really hard, breaking his nose and sending blood gushing onto her shoes. Luckily, she had spare shoes in the back of her car. That sounds horrible. I'm so sorry you went through that, I said. I asked one last time, do, do you want to go home? And she was sure that she wanted to stay. So I left. April 12th, 2020. Today, a group of homeless people walked by the hotel. One of them didn't have shoes. I decided that after work, I'll try to find him some. I don't think any living human should have to walk around the streets barefoot. April 12th. 2020. Well, I found him, or whatever was left of him. Let me explain. I was driving home after work when I saw the same homeless man I had seen earlier. 
He was lying back against a wall in an alley. Weird, though, he had red socks on. He didn't have them on earlier. I parked my car and started walking over to him so I could potentially get his shoe size. As I got closer to him, I came across a sight that sent chills down my spine and made my stomach churn. Those were not, in fact, red socks. His feet were mangled and were covered in blood. There was bone ripping through the skin that once covered his feet and were now dangling off. He had blood all over his shirt and his skin looked deteriorated. It was very fleshy, as if multiple layers of it had been peeled off. His jaw was also broken and his eyes were bloodshot red. He didn't look alive. He was limp and his head was facing down, but his eyes were wide open. I got scared, quickly called the cops, and before I ran away, I had to take a picture. My camera covered his entire body, but my eyes were only focused on the bone that was sticking out of his foot. I got my picture, ran back to my car, and drove home. April 13th, 2020. I'm at work again. I'm fine, barely even thinking about the other day. I feel like I'm desensitized to stuff like this. I forgot I had even taken a picture. The reason I'm writing again is because today was a weird day. I mentioned how it was commonplace for homeless people to walk past the hotel, but today was a bit different. It wasn't once in a while. I literally couldn't go five minutes without seeing homeless people stumbling past, past the hotel. I knew Santa Monica had a lot, but it just seemed like they multiplied overnight. April 16th, 2020. On the way to work today, the streets had significantly more homeless people than it did before. They were everywhere, and they all had the same bloodshot eyes as the first deceased homeless guy did. They looked lifeless, just limping and stumbling about the street. April 18th, 2020. On the way to work, I noticed something worrying. There were no cars. Anywhere. The entire city of Santa Monica did not have a single car in it or a single person walking around. This city is usually thriving. Santa Monica only has outdoor malls, so there are usually hundreds of people walking around despite COVID, but today there was not a single person or a single car in sight. Only homeless people. Everywhere. We ended up having zero check-ins that day. Almost every employee no-showed except the security guard, Alan. April 19th, 2020. On my way to work today, I was almost late because there were a bunch of detours due to construction going on all over the outskirts of the city. Weird. I worked my first PM shift. Anna no-call no-showed, so I had to stay. She has never missed a shift in her life. Again, weird. Anyway, at night we turn the lights in the lobby down very low. Earlier, I mentioned that sometimes a homeless person will walk into the lobby, look around, and then leave right after. Well, tonight I was sitting at the front desk when I heard a very disturbing sound. It sounded like bone crunching and scraping against the floor. It also sounded like it was getting closer, until the front door to the lobby opened. A homeless-looking man limped into the lobby. He had a hoodie on over his head. I couldn't see his face, only darkness underneath the hood. 
There was one feature of his face that I could see, and that was his bloodshot eyes that were as wide as they could go. He walked into the lobby and just stood there, hunched over, staring at me. I asked if I could assist him, but he didn't say a word. I was rather uncomfortable, and without taking my eyes off him, I was trying to find my radio to call over security. I could hear him breathing. It was a raspy sound, as if his lungs were filled with fluid. He was standing behind one of the sofas in the lobby, so I could only see him from the waist up. I finally got a hold of my radio, and as soon as I clicked the button to speak, the man let out the loudest, most inhumane and blood-curdling scream I have heard in my life. It had caught me off guard. Causing me to flinch and drop my radio, he stopped screaming and instead started making a raspy, grunting sound. He started limping his way over to me, and again I heard that disgusting sound of crunching bones. That is when I saw his mangled feet with a bone sticking out of them. They looked exactly like the dead homeless man I had encountered ten days ago. Luckily, the security guard had heard the screams, and he came rushing up. Our security guard, Alan, was the nicest guy I'd ever met. He was also 5'10 and around 300 pounds. He saw the homeless guy limping toward me and grabbed him by his hoodie. He successfully dragged the homeless guy to the entrance, but he had to use one arm to open the door. That is when the homeless man shook loose, grabbed a hold of Alan, and took a chunk out of his neck. The entrance door was still open. I ran over and drop-kicked the homeless guy out the door. Hurt my elbow pretty badly when I landed, but I didn't want to get anywhere near that psycho. I got Alan's keys and locked all entrances to the hotel. April 19th, 2020. Alan bled out on the floor. Every other employee no-call no-showed. It was only him and I. I received an emergency alert on my phone urging Santa Monica residents not to leave their homes. The alert said Santa Monica was undergoing a citywide lockdown and anybody caught outside their homes would be taken to jail. I tried calling the Santa Monica Police Department, but when I called, it would just say that due to a high volume of calls, I would have to wait until an operator is available. I left the phone on for 20 minutes and still nothing. On the other phone, I called 911, and once they asked me for the location of my emergency and I had said Santa Monica, they would just hang up. I noticed a crowd of homeless people now surrounding the hotel. Through the front entrance, there were homeless people, all with bloodshot eyes, going as far back as I could see, just standing there and staring and groaning. The side entrance had the same thing as did the employee entrance. There was no other possible way out of the hotel. April 19th, 2020. I decided to check my camera roll to see what the deceased homeless guy from 10 days ago was wearing to see if it matched the one that was currently at the front entrance staring at me. I brought up the picture, and what I saw made me drop my phone. Remember how I mentioned that the homeless person was dead, looking down toward the floor when I saw him in the alley? And how when I snapped the picture, my eyes were focused on the bone sticking out of his foot? Well, when I saw the picture in my camera roll, the dead homeless guy was staring directly into the camera and it was the same one that was currently at the entrance of the hotel. April 19th, 2020. Alan may still be alive. He's still on the floor with a pool of blood around him,
but I saw his fingers moving and his body shaking. His eyes are still wide open with the same look of horror he had when he had bled out and died, but they'd become bloodshot red. It also looks like a few layers of his skin were pulled off because his skin is looking very fleshy. Why is there nothing on the news about what's going on? I'm googling it, but there's nothing. April 19th, 2020 I felt uncomfortable when I saw Alan convulsing on the floor, so I went downstairs to grab the baton out of the security office. When I came back to the lobby, I didn't see Alan. I saw the pool of blood on the floor, along with the chunk of his neck that was ripped out, but didn't see him at all. All that was different was a set of bloody footprints. I followed them, and they led to the closed door of the bathroom. Due to COVID, we closed our public bathrooms. I tried to use the men's one once, but the light stopped working in it, and engineering didn't want to fix it since nobody is supposed to be using it. So, when I slowly creaked the door open, it was completely pitch black inside the bathroom. I couldn't see inside, but whatever was inside would definitely be able to see me. Alan? I shouted into the bathroom. No response. Just in case, I flicked the light switch, but the lights were unresponsive as well. The door to the bathroom is a heavy one that closes on its own. I hesitantly took a few steps into the bathroom, and the door shut behind me. I was standing in pure black. My phone was out of battery, and I had no charger, and the only flashlight was in a locked safe in the security office. The smell in the bathroom made me want to vomit. It wasn't a typical bathroom kind of smell. It was a bathroom with 50 decomposing bodies kind of smell. I heard fast and raspy breathing, but the acoustics in the bathroom are fucked up, and I couldn't tell where it was coming from. Sweat was protruding through every pore in my body as I tightened my grip on the metal baton in my hand. The humidity and the smell in the bathroom was really getting to me. I let out a quick and desperate whisper. Alan. And of course, I was given no response. I knew the layout of the bathroom, so light wasn't important in navigation. It was only important in not being murdered by a 5'10", 300-pound dude. I'm 6'6", myself, but I'm only 180 pounds, so I was at a disadvantage even with the baton. Despite that, I reached out to the first stall. I slowly placed my sweat-drenched hand over the handle, and right as I started to pull, the raspy breathing discontinued. It was completely quiet. Dead silent. I pulled the door open, and that's when I heard the same blood-curdling scream that the homeless man earlier had let out. I also could see two red circles in the stall. I threw my baton at it and sprinted out of the bathroom. I got two heavy metal trash cans and put them in front of the door. The doors opened inwards, so that didn't block it, but at least I would hear if the trash cans were moved. I ran back to the front desk. April 20th, 2020. I've been hearing banging on the walls for the past hour. Sounds kind of like it's coming from the bathroom. It's already 12 a.m. midnight at this point, and to no surprise, the overnight person has not arrived for their shift one hour ago. There are so many homeless people outside that they're literally piled up. I can't see a foot past the front doors because it's literally just a pile of these red-eyed homeless people piled up on top of each other staring into the hotel. I'm glad they're too dumb to think to break the glass. 
I went downstairs to check if they were still grouped up outside the garage, and of course they were. They were completely piled up over each other at the gate of the garage. I don't think a truck would have even been able to clear that out. April 20th, 2020. I took the stairs up to the roof of the hotel. It feels safer up here. I don't know why I didn't do it earlier. It's 1 a.m. now. When I look down from the roof, I see homeless people stretched out in every direction for miles. I see something that strikes even more confusion in me, though. I see helicopters. They're not near me, though they seem to be on the outskirts of the city. Actually, I can't even see past the outskirts of the city. It's just black. I can see the sky past the city, but directly ahead, it seems like there's just a wall of black surrounding the city. A wall of black. A, a, a wall. Did they close the city off? Is that why I haven't seen a single car or a single person? I feel like I would have known if they closed the city off. I don't even live in this city. I had to drive in. How is it possible that they put a wall up in the span of a day? There was no wall when I had arrived. The only thing out of the ordinary was the construction that made me late for my shift. The, the construction. Construction. Am I stuck here? April 20th, 2020. I got an idea. I went down to the engineering area and grabbed their storage of fuel for the fireplaces. I went down to the food and beverage department and got a few bottles of vodka. Lastly, I went to housekeeping and got a few towels. I took my tools up to the roof of the hotel, directly over the garage. As I was going up the stairs, I heard some loud metal crashing sounds, but I didn't think much of it. I heard lots of noises today. Anyway, I used the computers to show me how to make a Molotov cocktail. I emptied the bottles, filled them with fuel, shoved a towel inside, lit the towel, and let it rain. I dropped five bottles of the stuff down, and that did a good job of scattering the homeless. I hope I won't be put in prison for this. I didn't really have a choice. I quickly ran down to the garage and got into my car. I guess I forgot to lock my car. Weird. Just in case, I checked the back seat, but there was nothing. April 20th, 2020. I rammed into the gate with my car. All the homeless people that were piled up in front had been scattered due to the co Molotov cocktails, so there was nothing stopping me. They were still everywhere, though, and I did not hesitate to run over any homeless person in my path. It was dark out. Half the street lights were off or flickering, and all I could see were bodies and red eyes. I couldn't go three seconds without hearing a thump and feeling my car go up and down. April 20th, 2020. I'm driving out of this city. I'm almost to the outskirt. On the way here, I've seen unimaginable horrors. There was blood on every building and every street, like some fucked up graffiti. Guts, arms, legs, whatever other body part or organ you can imagine was just littered across the streets. Homeless people that looked like they had been completely skinned alive limping around the streets with bones and guts pouring out of their bodies and those fucking red eyes. April 20th, 2020. I am now almost directly beneath the helicopters. I was right. The city is completely walled off. The wall looks ten stories high, but the wall just goes on for miles. I have to find where the entrance is. There has to be some kind of checkpoint or entrance that can lead people in or out of the city. 
My car is acting up, though. It just drives differently than I'm used to, and I don't know why. April 20th, 2020. I did it. I found the checkpoint. I'm driving up to it now. Everything that has happened this week is rushing through my head in flashes. The crowds of homeless walking by the hotel, the dead homeless guy in the alley and his resurrection, Anna getting bitten by one and then disappearing. Every other employee at the hotel, along with the entirety of Santa Monica, disappearing. Alan and wherever he disappeared to. Everything is coming together now. Everything is going to be okay. I'm going to get out safely. Despite everything coming together, there was still one thing that made me uncomfortable. My car being unlocked. My car driving differently. What was that metal crashing sound when I was going up to the roof? Whatever, none of that matters now. I see people. Actual people. No blood, no bones, no guts, and most of all, no red eyes. Instead, I see military camo outfits and assault rifles. I would take that over the ladder any day. I'm finally safe. I felt a smile crack on my face for the first time in what felt like years. I'm finally safe. Incident Report April 20th, 2020 Santa Monica Three deceased, one civilian, two soldiers. Civilian approached us in his car. He got out of his car with his hands up and shouted, I'm not one of them. We sent Bronkowski and Rogers out to meet the civilian and check for bite marks. They did a quick search of his body and did not find any. He was not one of the redacted. In a measure of safety, we had to check his vehicle to make sure he wasn't sneaking anybody or anything in. Rogers checked the front, while Bronkowski checked the back. Last place to check was the trunk. Rogers and Bronkowski drew their weapons and had the civilian open up the trunk as the final inspection. The civilian opened up the trunk and a redacted lunged itself at the civilian. This one was huge, probably about 300 pounds, the redacted bit the civilian and managed to get a bite out of Rogers too before it was put down. Rogers and the civilian were on the floor, bleeding out. Bronkowski started walking back to the checkpoint. We could not take the risk. We left the door locked. Bronkowski tried everything to get in, screamed, even shot the door, but the bullet did not penetrate our bulletproof plating. Rogers and the civilian then stood up and had red in their eyes. They had become one of the redacted. They ran up behind Bronkowski and took bites out of him as well. All three are confirmed to have become redacted. Well, listeners, that concludes our story for the evening. I hope you enjoyed our episode on zombies past and present. If you did enjoy your visit for story time at the Spooky Shack, you can be an amazing help by leaving an honest review on your listening platform of choice. This way, others that are just finding us have an honest idea of what to expect. If you'd like to get updates and news from the Spooky Shack, you can find us on our Facebook page of the same name. If you have any suggestions, questions, fan mail, or ideas for future topics that you'd like to hear, you can get a hold of us at our Gmail. That's rwspookyshack at gmail.com. R-W-S-P-O-O-K-Y-S-H-A-C-K at gmail.com. I'm your storyteller, Royce White, and I hope to see you next time at the Spooky Shack.